Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the latest episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about helping private investors build the knowledge and confidence to invest into commercial real estate. Today I'm going to give you some more tools on how to analyse your target market so you can peel back the layers and work out what the heck's going on. Before I get started though, I want to take a moment to thank Michelle and Carl for a couple of great reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate you taking the time to leave a message about how you find the podcast material as well as making us feel better. Reviews really help with visibility for the podcast so that we can share the show with more and more people that can benefit from the interviews and discussions about experiences of this great market. So, if you've been enjoying the content from the podcast and found it useful, please take a moment to share your thoughts by leaving a review. If you're like me, you may be thinking right now, okay, I'll get round to doing that. However, if you're really like me, you know you probably won't get round to doing it. So, please do what I do and force yourself to do it now or at the end of the episode. Right, after saying all that, I'd better make sure it's a good episode. So this week, I'm going to talk about your offer and determine what is the best offer for your project location. In other words, what type of contract and service level you're going to offer to your commercial clients or tenants. There is a difference, by the way, between who is a client, who is a tenant, and that is determined by the contract that you offer and you both agree to. More on that as we move into this. So, in the past, I've mentioned our market analyzer, and you can download a free copy from our website. Just follow the link in the show notes, but remember not to bypass the review bit. <laughs> so, pick up that market analyzer, and from that, what I'm talking about today in this show will have a bit more context. So, in episode 51, I introduced the different layers that make up the commercial market. And it is slightly more complicated than the residential market, but it's relatively easy to get your head round once you have a picture of the puzzle in front of you. When you get started in commercial, it can seem to be a bit of a complicated place with lots of disjointed views and opinions, sometimes which are simply just guff on how the market works and sometimes pretty good. But there's so many different sectors and segments. And the problem is without some kind of guide or the jigsaw box puzzle, it's really difficult to work out where all the pieces fit. My aim with developing the market analyzer, which isn't infallible by the way, is to give you a pictorial view of how the pieces can fit together in the market you're looking at. You see, there are a couple of different ways to do a jigsaw, and my favorite method is to sort out all of the recognizable pieces from the big pile, so you can then get started. And that usually means the edges and some of the distinctive random pieces, so maybe a roof or something, or a certain colour pattern, and so forth, so you can start to build up the picture. 
I may not know how they all go together yet, but I recognise that some of these bits are going to be easier to place. And it's the same with commercial. When you're just getting started with analysing a certain geographical location, you gather together the bits that look important or familiar. For me, that's like the edge pieces, because they give you the context and the boundaries, or a framework, where you can then fit the other pieces as you go forward. It's a pretty logical method. You don't really need to know where everything goes from the start, but if you've got the lid or a picture of the complete market, then you have more confidence and can actually enjoy the process. It's not an exact analogy, of course, but hopefully you get the gist. As a reminder of the framework, we're talking about there are four layers. First is the sector type. So, for example, it might be retail, office, storage or industrial. Then it's about the offer, which we're going to come on to in a second. Next is the quality of the space. So what type of space are people looking for? Is it, if you're looking at hotel star rating, is it two star or is it five star? What quality? And the last piece is the size of the space offered. Price also comes into this, but the best price is found where demand outstrips supply, which will work out from using the analyzer to study your market. But remember, price is not a determining factor in all of itself, but rather a result of good market analysis and marketing. So therefore, it's kind of a byproduct of going through this process and working out where the pinch point is, that sweet spot of undersupply and overdemand. So let's talk about the offer. This is the second layer. This is really what I want to talk about on this session. And one of the reasons I want to chat about it is that it's been asked about a couple of times in the Facebook group recently, and also some of my mentees have been asking offline too, so I thought I'd do an episode about it. The offer type is initially affected by your overall commercial investing strategy. The bigger one about whether you want to be passive or active. So are you trying to be a passive investor or are you trying to be an active investor? And that can have an effect on the offer type, but not completely. The simple matter is you don't have to be one or the other. You can be one to start with and then move on to the other, or you can have different investments that involve your input on a sliding scale. I can think of a few spaces we've invested in, still have, that I've still not actually been in myself. I've not actually been in those properties because they're let out on leases. And others that we have that I, myself, and my team are in most days. And you don't have to... As I say, be fully active or fully passive. You can work on that in different buildings, in different locations, in different ways. It's up to you. But once you've worked out what the offer or the best offer in the market is, then you can actually look at whether your building is going to suit that. How you operate it and all that sort of thing, well, we'll come on to that. So once you've focused on a sector, the next layer is, as we say, the offer or the contract type. So we have from left to right, as it were, we've got one extreme leased or FRI space, managed space, service space, and then moving more towards the far side is shared or sometimes co-working space or even a membership type space, and then finally incubator space. So in one extreme, you've got a full repairing, insuring lease, where here's the keys, we'll see you in 20 years, and on the other far side in the incubator space will do everything for you. We may even give you the space for free. And there needs to be a business model there, of course, but it's not a traditional letting model. 
And this sliding scale affects various things, including time input, facilities, operation management, valuation methods, and borrowings. So, you know, it's important. So let's run through them. And remember, the reason for this detail is so that you understand how spaces can be offered in different ways. An office offered on a 10-year lease basis may not satisfy the current market demands. But the same space offered on a serviced or shared basis may fill up very quickly. And the interesting thing is, it's exactly the same building, but the type of offer has made all the difference. Unfortunately, a lot of our industry professionals don't fully understand that or want to accept it as it upsets their paradigm or their chosen output. Your job when studying this part of the market is to work out which part of the sliding scale is working best and in highest demand. So is it people looking for lease space, managed space, service space, shared space or incubator space? And more importantly, which part of that is not provided for very well and therefore there might be an opportunity. And continuing on, the first extreme is that FRI lease space on, say, a 20-year-plus agreement. The tenant, and that's what they're called in this scenario, is responsible for pretty much everything. The utilities, the rent, local taxes, the interior and exterior condition of the building, and even the building insurance, which is usually arranged and paid for by the landlord and then reclaimed under conditions from the lease. Then at the end of the lease period, that tenant is responsible for handing back the building in the same condition as they received it, which often results in dilapidations, which is set against the original schedule of condition. Let's not get too detailed, but the point is there's often a sting in the tail for the tenant because they have to pay or contribute towards the building brought back up to lettable condition. So next on the sliding scale would be managed space. The agreement here is typically still a lease, but some of the lines are a bit more blurred and the contract period is usually shorter, typically around three to five years. It might be a five-year lease with a three-year break, that type of thing. The agreement will still include for a landlord and tenant arrangement, so that's still what they're called. However, some of the services might be paid for by the landlord and reclaimed via a service charge, which may or may not be capped. And the charge is usually reclaimed from multiple tenants on a pro rata basis if there's multiple tenants. As usual, the individual contracts will vary, of course, based on the negotiations at the front end of each deal. So some deals will be better for the landlord, some will be better for the tenants. The landlord is responsible for more aspects of the building or estate management here, though, and that's what really differentiates it from a full repair and insurance lease. And it might cover things such as building security, fire alarm system, landscaping, elevators, communal areas, that sort of thing. There might also be a joint heating system, for instance, if there are multiple tenants under one roof. And the agreement might cover an office building with multiple tenants or industrial complex where there are multiple tenants, sometimes in the same building, sometimes in multiple buildings. But the key thing is that the, the management of some of the day-to-day -day aspects of the facilities is organised by the landlord or the landlord's representative, which in this case is often called a managing agent. And going on from that, in this scenario, the investor can choose to be pretty much hands-free and appoint that managing agent who deals with those things like the bills, client changeover, sales and marketing, and it can work well. 
In other cases, you as the investor can set up your own managing agency, if you will, and with your own team and manage the properties and tenancies yourself, or at least through that business, which is often referred to as the OPCO. It's just that the lease length is shorter than the typical FRI leases. But you have a reasonably steady income, and most tenancies are, as I say, for at least three years. In this situation, you could choose to remain passive or get active setting up your own managing agency with a team. And then as you gain scale, your team can take over some of the roles that you perform and then you can go back to being passive again. So sometimes it's a means to an end. So reflecting back to the passive and active question and some of the conversations I've had recently, you can aim for a passive life. But it might take some active investing in asset management to get it up and running more quickly. It's entirely your choice. Interestingly, you can use the analyzer to work out what's going on in your market. And just because all of the demand is for actively managed space, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't still be passive. You can still invest in those properties. It's just the offer might have to be handled by somebody else. And that offer can be managed by as I say, a managing agent or an operator, or your own team. And then we move on to the next level of offer, which is that serviced element. And the same principle applies. You can still be relatively passive here if you partner with an operator. So in service offices or service space or service warehousing, there is a difference in the contract type. And this is where we move from the traditional lease to licenses to occupy. And for me, those are typically shorter. So say an initial 12 months and then a three-month notice period, that's our typical sort of license. They're inclusive of all or most services. The service space, under my definition, includes a dedicated person on site looking after clients, not tenants. This is not that landlord-tenant relationship anymore. And that team member is not only looking after the facilities, but should also be the glue to creating more of a community for those clients. And for me, that's one of the key differentiators between service space and managed space. A lot of people talk about service offices when actually they're just managed. There isn't somebody on site all the time. They're only there occasionally and the bills sometimes have the electric and things separated out. That's not a service space. That's a managed space. There's a difference. So the other things that define serviced offering for me is that the the license to occupy is a license to occupy a space or a similar space. In other words, you don't have to give them that exact space for the full term of the license period. You can give them something else that's alternative but similar. And the operator, and this is a change of description for managing agent, is responsible for the day-to-day operations of the space and the provision of the services detailed in the license agreement, which, as I say, will vary. But that's one of the key differences again. And space sizes vary considerably in serviced offerings because they can go from as little as 80 or 90 square feet all the way up to multiple thousands of square feet. The size of space that corporates are now taking in serviced offices is getting considerably bigger. A serviced offering, as I say there, can be across multiple sectors. So it's not just offices. You can have, in fact, we have service industrial. You can have storage, workshops, or even retail under a serviced offering. So this is where you can decide to work with an operator or to set one up on your own. 
And as I mentioned earlier, we have an Opco Propco situation where we have an operating company and the property company that actually holds the properties. The operating company looks after the day-to-day -day and some of the things I was mentioning there in the serviced offering. You can remain relatively passive as a landlord or become active if you decide to do both. If you recognise that a serviced offering is the best offer for your geographical location, so you've gone through the market and you've looked at where the gaps are, but you want to be a passive investor, it doesn't mean you have to pack up your bags and go home. It just means you have identified the gap in the market and you just need to find an operator who works under either a management contract or even a rent-to-rent -rent approach where they lease the space from you and then work on subletting. But either way, you don't have to do it yourself. You could get somebody else to do it. But the key thing is you're identifying where the gaps are in the market. And with share space, you're now providing an environment that is more curated and design orientated. So this is the next level. This is where function is still important, but community, lighting, space, design, workflow, internet, they're all really critical. This is space where different businesses are sharing that space and interacting with each other. They share the same breakout spaces, tea points, um, communal toilets, even desks and workbenches. Now, I appreciate in times of COVID, that's not necessarily exactly how it works, but in normal times, that's how co-working works, at least in my mind. And the term co-working has become more blurred over recent years. Some people call a serviced office and a big brand would be WeWork, call it co-working. Whereas actually, they're a serviced office. They've got many, many, many private spaces and some communal areas, and there is a difference. For me, co-working tends to be a shared space with perhaps separate meeting rooms, an event space, and lots of different types of, I guess, environments or spaces within that larger unit. So individuals can have their own assigned fixed desk that no one else can use, or simply a membership to use the space with no particular fixed desk. And we've started to offer this with small individual private rooms as part of the mix, so people can still feel part of a community, they still open out into that larger space, but they have a door they can close and get on with work. And obviously during COVID that's been very popular, but I do think after we've done a few surveys with our customers, that's what they were looking for before COVID. We'd actually committed to starting to do that in one of our spaces and it's worked really well. And I think going forward, that blend is possibly going to be um, quite a strong place to be if you can do it. It does mean more technical issues on site, of course, with air conditioning or ventilation and all these sorts of things because you're starting to give private spaces. But nevertheless, interesting model to look at. Shared and co-working space definitely needs a dedicated operator, though. You can't do it half-heartedly. But again, as an investor, you don't have to be that operator if you don't want to. What's important is being able to identify what the market wants and providing it in your building. The furthest out there, I would say, is incubator space. So this is almost the opposite of fully leased space. It's actually a difficult model to pin down. And there are many different forms and ways to try and monetize that type of offer. People take equity shares in businesses. Some of them take sponsorship from different corporates to, who want to be involved in new starts and startups. There's all different types of models in there. And we've run um, a few business accelerators over the years at a couple of our locations. And we didn't charge for it, but there were other 
It's less tangible benefits which do affect your bottom line. So I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I would maybe consider it as part of the mix. But it's obviously very intensive. Um, incubator space and accelerator space, very intense. So today I wanted to cover two things really, okay? The first one was to share and explain the different offer types so that you can look at your target market with a bit more of the jigsaw picture in your hand. Just your job is to go out and study the market, including the competition. What is working, what is not? Are each of these offer types visible in your target market or is one of them missing? And is there a reason for that? Has someone just not worked it out yet? So that's the first thing, just to give you a bit more of the jigsaw puzzle. The second is, I wanted to get across, you can take advantage of these discrepancies of the offer in your market, whether you're passive or active. Don't shy away from the fact that a market might need service space. You just might need an operator or a managing agent to deal with the issues on the day-to-day -day because you want to take more hands-off approach. Something to remember, each step towards the incubator extreme at the end of the sliding scale, you're increasing the offer of service and management and it is becoming more of a trading business if you decide to do it yourself, which will increase your opportunity for profit, no doubt, but it will make borrowing if you're doing that model within your same business that you're buying property, it will make your borrowing in a traditional sense slightly more complicated, not impossible, but just more complicated because it's not a vanilla product of here's a lease, it's 20 years, here's the tenant, give me a multiple. Slightly more complex, but as I say, not impossible to get borrowing. You just need to be a little bit more of fay on how to approach it. So I really hope that's helped today. Any questions on it, please just put them in the Facebook group. It's the usual W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. And then click to join the group. There will be a link in the notes for that. And don't forget, there will be a link in the show notes for the deal analyzer if you've not already organized your free copy. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, on your way to that deal analyzer, please take a moment to leave that review. So it just remains for me to say thanks again for listening. Really appreciate all your support for listening to the podcast over the time we've been doing them. I can't believe it's over a year already. If any of you have any questions or indeed episodes or topics you would like us to cover in the future, then please feel free to reach out through the Facebook group or directly. There's some contact details in the usual show notes. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. And we look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Mm -hmm.